Last week we discussed the halacha that you're not allowed to eat before feeding animals. At the end of the share, or after the share, we touched on the question of Tzar Balechaim in general. Postkim, in the context of not eating before feeding animals, Postkim explained it's related to Tzar Balechaim. And we discussed that we, we touched on the question of how does Tzar Balechaim apply to raising animals in general? What types of animal husbandry practices that may not uh, please the animals so much? What types of practices are permitted? What types are prohibited under the rules of Tzar Balechaim? We pointed out that it's a little incongruous sometimes. The post are so concerned here about the relatively mi- minor issue, apparently, of eating before feeding the animal. And on the other hand, modern factory farming seems to entail all types of much more uh, serious violations of the, of the animal's uh, dignity and comfort and so on. So that's what we're going to discuss tonight. We're going to discuss a, a medley of chuvas on the general topic of Tzar Balechayim, particularly in, the, in, in, the con- in a context where there are, there are strong economic reasons for wanting to inflict some Tzar on the animal, where there are certain practices that a person wants to do that, are, that have significant economic benefit that nevertheless uh, will not make the animal very happy. Are you allowed to do that or not? So, one particular practice, which we'll touch on a little bit later in the share, is actually related to chickens. And that is the, the practice of forced molting. Forced molting is a, an artificial version of natural molting. Chickens, in the autumn, they grow new feathers, they react to stress, and dur- during the molting, they, during the natural molting, they seize producing eggs for a reduction, a sharp reduction, or cessation of egg production, and then they start again, and somehow the, during, during the, after they have this break from egg laying, they're able to lay eggs in a, uh, in a better way than they were before. Forced molting is a way of artificially doing this, triggering this molting process where the animal loses its feathers and gets new feathers by imposing certain types of stress on the animals. They do it because it improves the quality, maybe even the quantity of egg production. The problem is that the way you do this is by starving the chickens. The way you do this is by, typically by withdrawing food for 7 to 14 days, and sometimes also withdrawing water for an extended period. Forced malting is obviously not very pleasant from the chicken's perspective. Wikipedia notes the practice is controversial, it's widespread in the U.S., it's prohibited in the EU. So, economically, it makes a lot of sense. That's why we do it here in the U.S. Economically, it results in more eggs, better eggs, higher profitability of flocks. If your sole goal is maximizing profit, then it is a great thing to do. However, if you care about the welfare of your chickens, it is perhaps not such a nice thing to do because the chickens are going to be starved and dehydrated for days or even weeks. So the question is, are you allowed to do this or not? Before we get to the halachas, so some of the contemporary postgame the, of the last century actually discuss this, this practice of forced molting. Before we get to that, we'll look at some of the earlier chuvas on the, the particular question of how do we weigh Tsar Balechayim against human need and human economic need in particular. So, one famous discussion of this question took place about a century and a half ago between two of the great German postkim of the time. One was Rabbi Yitzchak Dov Halevi Bamberger, the Würzburger Rav, 
and the other was Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger, the Rav of Altona, the author of the Binyan Sion and the Arach Laner and other Svar. They, they discussed in the year Tafresh Chafalaf, uh, Teves Tafresh Chafalaf, basically uh, 1861. They discussed this question, they discussed the following question. The question had to do with a Bukhar. The halacha is Bukhar Behemoth. The halacha is when an animal has a, when a kosher animal has a firstborn, that behemoth has the status of a Bukhar. In the time of the Beis Mikdash, they would bring it as a carbon. It would be given to the Kohen and brought as a carbon. We can't bring it as a carbon, so a Bukhar poses a very serious problem. It has Kedusha of a carbon. You can't use the animal. You can't uh, do work with it. You can't eat its milk and eggs and anything. You can't do anything with it. It has to be treated as an animal that has, as, as, as an animal with Kedusha. On the other hand, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a white elephant. You, can't, you have to feed it, you have to take care of it, you can't do anything with it, and it, and it can lead to michshal, it can lead to people violating Yisurim of improper use of hektish. So the custom has been, for, for a very long time, we avoid the situation of Bechar, kind of like with Mechir Eschametz, we, we, we either sell the mother, sell the expectant mother to a non-Jew before the Bechar is born. We do different things to engineer a, to engineer the a Bukhar not actually being born. If, if a non-Jew owns a stake in the animal, the mother or the child, it, uh, it, it doesn't have the halach of a Bukhar. We do various things to try to ensure that we don't actually have a, a proper Bukhar born to our animals. The question is, what happens if you don't, if something goes wrong and you actually have a Bukhar uh, in, your, in your flock? So you can't really do anything with it. You have to treat it with Kedusha. You can't use it. You have to be very careful with it. You're not allowed to make a mum. The halach is, if it gets a mum, then it, it, it no longer has all the halachas of Kedusha. When it gets a mum, the, 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 the halachic severity is reduced uh, considerably. But you can't actually make a mum. There's an iser to make a mum in a bachar. So you can hope it gets a mum, you can uh, wish it gets a mum, but you can't actually make the mum. So there is a correspondence between Rav Etlinger and Rav Bamberger about the question of indirectly causing it to get a mum, alidei grama. We know in many areas of halacha, causing something to happen indirectly by grama is not as severe as doing it directly. El Shabbos, for example. Grama is not mutter, but grama is doing malacha and Shabbos indirectly, causing something to happen by indirect means is less, is less chum or is less stringent than doing it directly. As such, there are certain leniencies. So the question was, if we have a... The question was, if we have a, an animal which is a bachar or a Suffolk Bukhar, can we cause a mum via grama? So we're not going to be discussing the, the question of the Isra of making a mum per se, whether that applies to grama or not, that, 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 that's a separate question. Well, suffice it to say that there were some of the earlier acronym, Nodib Yehuda, Chasim Sofer, who had ruled that if it's only a Suffolk Bukhar, you still can't make a mum be a dayim directly, but if it's only a Suffolk Bukhar to begin with, there are various doubts. Maybe it had an older sibling who was born. We're not sure. In case of doubt, they allowed being gorem indirectly causing a mum to uh, to be created in the in this suffolk bachar, which then allows you to use it in ways that you couldn't uh, that you couldn't do beforehand. So the Wurzburger Rav, Rav Bamberger of Wurzburg, asked, "How can we allow you to make a mum be gorem a mum? A mum is painful. A mum is some kind of physical blemish, some kind of physical injury to the animal." That hurts. So the Wurzberger Rav asked, what happened to Tsar Balechayim? We paskin as Daraisi, he says. The Gemara has a machlokus about it. There's a question how we paskin Daraisi or Drabanan. 
The Rav Damberger assumes that we pass in it's So he says, how can you do it? How can you, how can you be gare mamum? Even I de grama? How can you cause an animal to have tsar? It's usur, tsar balechayim. Some posts can pass in even passively. You're not even allowed to stand by while an animal suffers pain. You have to save it from pain. You certainly can't cause it, even by a grama. So how is it possible that uh, that earlier that earlier Gedolei Achronim, Nodvihuda, Chasam Sofer, allow you to cause an animal pain to make a mum in it? You can't hurt animals. How are you allowed to hurt an animal? So maybe you'll tell me, he says, maybe you'll tell me, it's economically necessary, because you can't do anything with the Bukhar. As long as the Bukhar has Kedushas Karban, you can't do anything with it. Once, you, once it gets a mum, you can eat it, you can shecht it, you, you still have to treat it with a certain degree of respect, but you can basically eat it. So that's a huge difference. That's a lot of money involved. So maybe he says, we do have a general rule, the Ramah Paskins and Shulchan Aruch, that anything which is for Tzorach of an Adam, anything which is for human need, like Rafua, medicinal need, other human needs, Ramah Paskins flatly, based on Rishonim, the Arzeruah, the Trumas Adeshen, Ramah Paskins, anything that is for the benefit of humanity, for the benefit of human beings, human beings needs trump animal needs, and we're not concerned about Tzar Balechayim when there are human needs at stake. Says the Wurzburger Rav, so maybe you'll tell me, okay, not having this white elephant, Bukhar, sitting around and just, uh, just, just sitting there eating your food and not, having it, not being able to have any benefit from it, maybe that itself is considered a human need which, uh, to, to solve this problem, and that itself would override Tzar Balechayim, that would justify inflicting pain on an animal. Says the Wurzburger Rav, no. If you look at the sources of the Ramah, he says, the, the, the Rishonim who articulated this rule, that whenever there's a human need, we're not concerned with animals, they meant real need. They didn't mean that you'll save money. They meant a real need. Rafua. There's some medicine you can, you, can, you can get, you can extract from the animal. Some ingredient you need for medicinal purposes. Fine, even if it's not a matter of life and death, it's Cholosh Basakana. All right, but that's a genuine human need. To, to treat human illness, that's something that justifies inflicting pain on animals. But mammon, just because it's better for your bottom line, just because you can make money, Lomatsanu, he says, we don't find in the Kadmonim, we don't find such a heter, just because it's, you stand to profit, profit is not a good reason, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a valid justification for directly, or even Ayde Grammar, for inflicting pain on animals. See, Broz, so the, this, is, this was the position of the Wurzburger Rav, he doesn't understand, he thinks you're not allowed to, 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 to create a mum in an animal, if that causes it pain, because even if you stand to profit financially from it, financial profit, financial gain, is not a justification for inflicting pain on animals. That is a very stringent thing to say. If we ret- we'll return soon to modern factory farming, we do lots of things to animals which are more efficient. We put them in cages, we do this to them, we do that to them, we give them antibiotics, I don't know if that causes pain or not. We do all kinds of things to animals to, in- to improve the bottom line. According to the Wurzberger Rav, you cannot do anything that causes the animal undue pain, even if there is a clear profit motive, the only heter of Tzarech Adam is an actual human need, an objective human need to, to actually improve his welfare like Rafua. But just because you can make more money, that is not a legitimate reason to inflict pain on animals. Says the Rav Etlinger. Rav Etlinger in his Binyan responds, uh, disagrees with this. He thinks that you're allowed to make a moment an animal for if there is a human need, even if it's the only financial need, and we're not worried about Tzar Balechayim. He brings various Gemaras to try to prove this. He makes various arguments that, indi- that the Gemara indicates that you're allowed to do, that you're allowed to 
make a mum or cause similar types of tzar to an animal if there is a human need. And then one of the points he makes that, that's important to, uh, to, to underline here is he says that we can distinguish between major tsar and minor tsar, what he calls tsar gadol and not tsar gadol, tsar katan. He brings a ritva. He says the ritva, one of the Rishonim already makes this distinction, that the ritva is interpreting a certain Gemara. The ritva says that tsar gadol is not mutter even if there, tsar gadol is not mutter even if there is a certain level of human need, but when the tsar is not so gadol, then, then, then we can be more lenient, says the Binyan Tzion, says Rav Atlinger, based on this ritva, he says the bottom line is, in his case of the Suffolk Bechar, if you're making a mum which he feels is not Tsar Gadol, a mum can be made, you can make a mum that has Tsar Gadol too, you can break the animal's leg, which is a mum and it's also Tsar Gadol. But certainly there are more convenient and less traumatic ways of making a mum that will not be considered Tsar Gadol. And there is definite, absolute benefit for the human, to be able to eat the animal, Lukuli alma ein tsar and that, that's the conclusion of the Binyan So, so Halachalamaisa, Rav Bamberger and Rav Etlinger disagree about whether making a mum in an animal, bingarim, bingarim a mum in an animal, in order to alleviate the problem of bachar is mutter or not. Rav Bamberger says no, it is not. Simply, human profit does not justify hurting animals. Rav Etlinger says it does. If there is definite, objective human benefit, even if it's only financial, and he says the tsar is, uh, particularly if the tsar is not tsar gadol, it's relatively minor tsar. Again, he doesn't, he doesn't give us any way to classify tsar as gadol or katan. Today, the, the you know, pain is notoriously difficult to uh, quantify. They, the, the doctors ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, how, how much is your pain? You know, that, that's a notoriously problematic measure. People have different tolerances for pain. Pain means different things to different people. People are more stoic or more... Uh, so, obviously, the numbers are best used to compare your pain today and your pain tomorrow, not to compare my pain to your pain. So, exactly how the halacha is going to define Tsar Gadol and Tsar Katan is obviously uh, a difficult problem. But, broadly speaking... Unlike Rav Bamberger, who argues flatly that inflicting tsar on an animal is usur, even if there's even if there's benefit, if the benefit is merely financial, Rav Etlinger says no. You're allowed to inflict pain on an animal for financial benefit, particularly if the pain is not considered tsar gadol. Now, one of the one of the staunchest advocates of the relatively stringent view that you are not allowed to inflict pain on an animal, even if there is economic benefit is Rebilio Kalatskin and his Imre Sheffer. Imre Sheffer, Rebilio Kalatskin, was a fascinating figure in general, particularly in questions that involve science and culture and uh, secular society. This Chuva and Imre Sheffer, we actually studied together in, in, this, series, in this series a while back. We, we focused on a different part of the Chuva, where he talks about the societies of anti-vivisectionists and doing medical research on animals. But it is a very long Chuva, and the, the main theme of the Chuva is exactly the point we've been discussing tonight. The main theme of the tshuva is everyone agrees that human needs trump animal needs, that you're allowed to inflict pain upon animals when a human need is at stake, but the question is, what kind of human need? What about mere financial need? So Rav Kalatskin, Rav Kalatskin was a great Polish gone about a century ago, a little bit after, a generation or two, a couple of, genera- a couple of generations after the Rav Etlinger and Rav Bamberger, 
So he wrote a very long tshuva arguing that, for the stringent view, that you are not allowed to gratuitously inflict pain on animals even if there is, even if there is uh, financial gain at stake. So toward the beginning of the tshuva, he brings this machlokis between Rav Wurzberger and the, the Rav of Wurzberger, or Bamberger, and the Rav of Altona, or Etlinger. He says, he saw on the Binyan the Gon of Wurzberg says, you're not allowed to inflict pain on an animal for financial gain. And even Rav Etlinger, disagreed and is lenient, even he agrees that his heter, ultimately, he says, rests on the proposition that we're dealing with tsar that's not tsar gadol, that's relatively minor tsar. So he, but he also agrees that in principle, if there would be Tsar Gadol, that's how at least Rav Kalaskin understands Rav Etlinger's position, that if there'd be Tsar Gadol, he would not be so quick to be lenient. Even he is only lenient because we're dealing with Tsar Katan. But dealing with major Tsar, even if there is financial benefit, financial benefit is not enough of a justification. Furthermore, Rav Kalaskin brings Chasim Sofer. Chasim Sofer was one of the Akronim who allowed, in certain cases, being Garim Amum. But in, 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 in one of his tshuvas, he writes, that the heter of being gore mamum is only if there's no tsar balechaim. He stipulates he can't do tsar balechaim. So you see that even though he was willing to allow the being gore mamum, only if there's no tsar balechaim. So this is Rav Kalaskin's position at some length. He argues that the entire machlokis between Rav Etlinger and Rav Bamberger is limited to, uh, to tsar katan. When the tsar is not so great, the Wurzberger Rav is machmer anyway, and uh, Rav Etlinger is mekil, but if it's tsar gadol, everyone agrees that it's usher. And again, Rav Kalaskin spends a lot of time in his tshuva arguing that this is the, arguing that this is the, the Iker Lahalacha. Toward the end of the tshuva, a number of pages later, he writes, Poskim. It has been clarified, we've made it clear from Shas and Poskim, Ein Makum Lahatir. There is no basis to permit the Isser of Tzar Balechayim for the, for mere financial gain, Bashvil Toelas Varevach Maman. And as, as one particular modern application, he turns to, uh, he turns to factory farming. He, he was one of the, or modern farming techniques, he was, one, see, he, he was one of the earlier ones who raises objections to certain popular practices on the part of the farmers. So he writes, the ranchers, whatever you call this, he says there are some places where the shochtim would starve the calves, they would deprive them of food for 20, and, and water, for 24 hours before shechting them. Why? So the reason here is a little technical. The reason has to do with the laws of trephus. The halacha is that if there are adhesions on the lungs, what we call sirchas, that's what make uh, animals not glot, or not even kosher, depending on the nature of the sirchas. If there are various types of adhesions, fibrous connections between lobes of the lung, between the lung, the, the lung and the walls of the animal, the, so th- these various lesions can render an animal trefa. And the reason for that is because the circus, the circus possibly involve holes, the circus are covering up holes in the lungs, they form as scabs when the lung has, is traumatized, and so on. So, Post can discuss whether Shochtim can remove the circus to see if the, if the integrity of the lung wall is intact. A very controversial topic, that, that, that's, that's the whole issue of glot, what's called glot, what's not called glot, what types of circus can be removed. So in certain cases we have a leniency that were more lenient, the, the Ramah Paskins were more lenient when it comes to, when it comes to young calves, when, when it comes to calves that are not so young. The, the, the language of the Shulchan Aruch is in Yerodea that, that for, 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 for small and young animals, for Gedeim and Tlaim, for lambs, and for Agolim Harachim, for, for soft young calves, were more strict about Sirchas. 
for hardier, more robust, older animals, we're not as strict. That's what the Ramah says. We allow certain types of leniencies with regard to sirchus. And some of the poskim said, what's called, a, what's called a calf and what's called an older animal, a cow? The difference is, once it has not been nursing for 24, for 24 hours, it's considered old enough that now, it's not, that now it doesn't have the chumrah of the young calf. Some poskim interpreted that to mean, some people interpreted that to mean that if you actually starve the calf for 24 hours, that toughens it up, and now, it, and now you can be more lenient about circus. So anyway, Rav Kalaskin says that's a mistake. That means if the animal is old enough that it doesn't need milk, it can eat solid food, it doesn't mean you're starving it. It means if the animal has graduated to solid food and can go 24 hours without nursing, it's mature enough to have the leniency, certain leniencies of circus. But it doesn't mean if you artificially starve it and take, give it nothing for 24 hours that uh, the halacha changes. So anyway, this, is, this whole thing is a mistake. But besides that, Rav Kalaskin says, even if this would work, even if this would effectively give us more latitude for dealing with sirchas, even if, even if it would effectively render more of the meat glot and less of the meat uh, trefa, it would not be mutter, he says. It is a, uh, he says, we have to protest this. This, this, is, this is completely objectionable, he says. This is not acceptable. Isser gomer Torah. To inflict pain on the animals by depriving them of food for, and water for 24 hours, Haravo and starvation, he says, is tsar muruba. That distinction we made earlier between minor tsar and major tsar. Starvation is tsar muruba. You try going for 24 hours, we do that. Yom Kippur and, uh, and Tishabov and so on. But it's not pleasant for most people. And he calls it tsar muruba. Again, depends on the person. Some people are, uh, are chalishing at the end of 24 hours. Some people are mildly uncomfortable. But Rav Kalatskin argues that this is called tsar muruba. And therefore, he says, it is osir. You are not allowed to starve your animals simply for mere financial gain. And with that, that takes us, in, that takes us into the question of forced molting. Again, forced molting is where you starve your chickens in order to trigger changes in their biology, which in the long run will benefit the farmer because the chickens will produce more and better eggs, certainly better, maybe more eggs as well. But the chicken obviously is not going to be happy while you are starving it for days, weeks. Are you allowed to do this? It's apparently, a, again, a fairly common practice in some farming circles. Are you allowed to do this because in order to increase the farmer's bottom line? So this question was discussed by a number of postkim from the last century. And postkim come out, uh, postkim come out, uh, wind up in various places between Usser and Mutter uh, and, and, and in between on this question. Minchas Yitzchak, Dayan Weiss, he was asked, are you allowed to be Mariv as Are you allowed to starve the chicken in order to improve its egg production? Is that a question of Tzar Balechayim? So he, his position is in between. His position is, Mikra Din, it is okay. However, he says, there is an Indian Musari, it's unethical, he says, because we see how concerned Chazal were about Tzar Balechayim, and, the, and therefore you should not be doing this to the chicken. It's not strictly usher but it's unethical and it's wrong. This, this idea, this paradigm, that it's technically mutter but unethical, really goes back to a famous tshuva in the Trumas Hadeshin. Trumas Hadeshin is one of the earliest and most important tshuvas on Tsar Balechaim. He was not discussing starving them, he was discussing pulling out their feathers or doing certain other things to them, which, for some reason, a person had a need to do. Not so clear what the need is exactly, but a person had a certain need, but it would cause substantial pain to the animals. Says the Trumas Adeshin. On the one hand, he articulates the same basic principle. He's one of the sources of the ruling of the Ramah we mentioned earlier, 
that human need overrides animal needs, and that if the human stands to benefit, then he need not be concerned about Tzar Balechayim. He writes, Lo nivru Animals were created to serve people. He brings a raya. He says that, how are you allowed to load an animal with a heavy load? The animal, the donkey, would rather not be carrying your heavy load. He'd rather be uh, skipping like a lamb without anything on its back. So what gives you the right to load the animal with heavy loads? So the Truman Session says, the general rule is, if you need the an- to use the animal as a beast of burden, you are allowed to do it. Animals were created to serve people. Rav Kalatskin, in his tshuva, takes issue with this. He has a lengthy uh, discussion of this. He says, no, he says, it's not because animals were created to serve people. That might be true, he says, but the, the reason you can load a burden on an animal, people were also created to work, he says. Adam l'amal yulad, the Chazal tell us, work is a natural condition. It's a bze- at least after the fall, so, so work is considered normal. Work and labor are, 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 not, uh, are considered normal states of being. So that, that's why you can do it to the animal, not because it's considered unusual tsar. It's normal. People work also. People work. Animals work. Be that as it may, the Truman Sedation says that inflicting, the way he understands the, the idea of loading an animal with a burden is inflicting tsar on an animal is indeed mutter if there is a tsarach adam. Again, according to the, those who are machmer, that you can't inflict, you can't inflict uh, tsar on an animal just for mere economic need. If the whole reason you want to carry your burden is to make money, you want to carry your products to market so you can make money, I don't know, according to the Wurzburger Rav, maybe it should be usher, because you can't turn an animal to, uh, for profit, unless you say again that this is not really tsar. So I don't know, the Truman Sedation seems to call this tsar, but he says that it's mutter because it is tsarach adam, and he goes on like this for a while. So he says, he has various rayas, and any time there's a human need, we're not concerned with animal welfare. However, this is his famous conclusion, he says, however, ha'olam nizharim v'nimnon. People are still meticulous, still try to be careful not to do this, despite the fact that as a matter of strict halacha, it is mutter. Why do they do that? After he says, perhaps the reason is because it's cruel. It's cruel practice. It's mutter, but it's still considered cruelty to animals, and they're afraid of being punished for this, as per the Gemara in Bav Metziah. What is the Gemara in Bav Metziah? The Gemara Bav Metziah is a lovely and evocative Gemara, the Gemara, I mean, it wasn't so lovely for Rebbe. Rebbe suffered terribly, but it's a, it has a lovely moral. The, the story is, Rebbe Yudan Nasi, it says, he suffered terribly for, year, for a long period of time. He had terrible Yisurim. And the, the Gemara says his Yisurim, his, his, his tribulations, his suffering, were bookended by two incidents. The, one of them triggered the Yisurim, the other one triggered the, the cessation of the Yisurim. What were these incidents? So the one that started the Yisurim was, there was a certain calf who was being led to the slaughter, and it somehow realized its fate, and it came to, uh, to Rebbe for, and cried on him. It, it, it wanted protection, it wanted sympathy. Rebbe did not sympathize. Rebbe Yudanus, he said, Go, this is, your, this is why you were created. Go and be shechted. In Shemayim, they said, since Rebbe was not compassionate toward the calf, then he will suffer. Gemara's language, that uh, he's not, he's not merachim on the calf, he, then he'll have Yisurim. So he had terrible Yisurim. When did the Yisurim finally leave? Apparently when Rebbe lost his lesson, when Rebbe learned his lesson. It says there was a, Rebbe's maidservant was one sweeping his house, and there were little weasels, little baby weasels were in the house. She was going to sweep them out. Rebbe said, let them be, leave them alone. Pasuk says, v'rachim of al masa. Say that in Ashrei. Rachmav al Kalmasov, in Shemayim they said, Oh, 
Ha'olum since he has compassion on God's creatures, the little weasels, Nerachem Alei, we will have Rachmanus on him, and his Yisurim were removed. She has a true suggestion. The lesson of this Gemara is, of course it's mutter. Of course it's mutter to shech the calf. It's mutter to sweep out weasels that are in your house. However, however, there's an ethical value here that you shouldn't do it even if it's mutter. People are nizharim bazeh. People avoid hurting animals when they can because even if it's mutter, it's achzarius, it's cruel, and the source is this Gemara. And therefore, says the Trumas Adeshen, Ramah Paskins this way, that even if, even in cases where it's technically mutter, it is good to avoid it. And this is really what Minchas Yitzchak is saying as well, that, the, that even, if, even if forced molting is mutter because it's considered tzarech adam, however, it's not, it's not musari, it's not ethical, and therefore it is something that you, mikrit in its mutter, but it's something that you might not want to do. The Shevet Alevi, Rashmul Vosner, he was also asked about forced molting. He says there are three madregas, there are three levels of tsar. Again, he's coming off the same distinction we, we, we saw in the Binyan Tzion. He says there is tsar katan, tsar gadol, and achzarius lev. Minor tsar, major tsar, and cruelty. He says achzarius mufrezes, wanton, uh, extreme cruelty, to starve animals for a long period of time, absolutely usher, he says. This madrega is absolutely usher. Even if you're going to tell me that it's not mamish tar balachayim daraisa, because it is revach maman, he says, even if you're going to argue, as per the binyan tzion, that at least some tsar is mutter for uh, revach maman, he says, this is minaka, even though, again, according to the Mereh Shefer, binyan tzion would be machmer for tsar gadol, but even if you'll tell me that, that there are those who are make ill for even a tsar gadol like this, he says, mikolakam, what you're doing is minhage hagayim. You're behaving like a non-Jew. The non-Jews are the ones who are cruel, who are heartless, he says. Like the Rambam says, that Zerah of Ram, we, that we mentioned this last week, that uh, the, the Rambam gives the example of feeding your animals first, and he says that, 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 that a person who's ethical, a person who has Jewish values, is sympathetic to everyone, sympathetic to his servants, sympathetic to his animals, he says. Zerah of Ram, it's a Jewish character trait. HaKash Baruch gave them the Torah, they are Rachmanim Heimalakol, and Achzarius and Azus, brazenness and cruelty, are only found among non-Jews, idol worshippers, he says, not among Jews, says the Shevet Alevi, it's Oster, he says, and even if it's not technically Oster, this is a, this is a thoroughly un-Jewish attitude to, uh, to inflict uh, tremendous suffering on your animals for your bottom line, and so on, he says, and also he thinks it is actually Tzar Balechayim Mamash, he says, based on the Sefer Hasidim, Therefore, he says, he agrees to his correspondent that the people raising the chickens must stop doing this, need to stop doing this. This is not acceptable. The lenient view we find in a, we find in a third discussion of the question, there is a modern classic on the laws of Torah the, 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 the laws of modern Eretz Yisrael and farming and so on, the, there's a modern classic called Haaretz Mitzvah The Land and Its Mitzvahs. I don't have a copy of the work, but it has Askamas, uh, according to Wikipedia, it has Askamas from Roshlomo Zalman Orbach, Rabbi Avram Shapiro, Ramordechai Eliyahu, among others, Rabbi Yaman Zilber, Roshlomo Shimshon Karelitz, a highly regarded modern classic. He says it is absolutely mutter, he says, that fourth malting, no problem. He says, he says, when a farmer does it, far, I don't understand this at all. He certainly knows more about farming than I do, but I don't understand this logic at all. It seems, uh, he seems to have a very Pollyannish view of farmers, or maybe, maybe the farmers he knew were different, but he says, the farmers, 
are not cruel and, and uh, are not cruel and negligent toward their animals. On the contrary, they worry about the well-being of their animals for their comfort and happiness and for their well-being and anything that the and what they're doing is for the good of the economics of the, of, of the farming, he says, to increase the egg laying, he says, and that's why they're there, the chickens, so they can lay eggs, and uh, maybe it makes them healthier and actually improves their, and increases their longevity, he says, and therefore certainly the, it can't be anything that farmers do. Farmers are caring and thoughtful individuals who care so much about the well-being of their charges, and certainly, by definition, he says, anything a farmer does as part of uh, normal farming cannot be seen as... Sounds very strange to me. Farmers, as far as I understand, certainly in modern factory farming, farmers do all kinds of horribly cruel things to the animals if it improves their bottom line. It's true, the farmers want the animals to live insofar as they represent a return on their investment, insofar as they provide economic value. Whether the animal is happy or sad is a different question. So I don't know how we have the right to assume just because farmers do it, it must be good for the animals. But that's what he ruled. Rabbi Ramhil Goldberg, the author of Haaretz Mitzvah he says that anything that is uh, standard farming practice, including the first malting, he takes for granted is mutter, and therefore it is uh, it's fine. He 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 approve, He endorses. He condones forced malting. Just close with one last uh, source. There's a famous tshuva of Rav Moshe about veal production. Rav Moshe was strongly opposed to the veal production, at least in the form it was practiced in his time the way they explained it to him. Some argue that there are improvements in veal production since then. His opposition might not apply to certain modern, more humane form of, form of veal production. But back then, both in terms of the diet, they fed it a uh, terrible diet and, uh, and in raised and cramped conditions. Ramosha argued that veal production, those methods, constitute Tzar Balechaim and their Usr. What about the fact that it, it makes economic sense for the, for the, for the farmers, that, that, they, that they make money by doing this? Says Ramosha, it doesn't matter. You have to have objective benefit. If the meat would actually be improved in some objective way, that would be fine. But just because it has a nice color, he says, Ramosha seems to understand the only benefit is the color. There's no actual benefit in taste and consistency. Rabbi J. David Bleich says Ramosha was misinformed, apparently because there actually are differences in the quality of the meat. Ramosha argues that trivial, superficial differences, which is what he understood the, the point of veal was, are not legitimate reasons to hurt animals, he says, and therefore veal production methods are not acceptable because they, are, they involve inflicting tsar on animals without a good uh, objective justification. Rebel Yezer Malamed brings this, brings, some of the, brings the previous sources we mentioned about forced malting and brings Ramosha on the veal, and he says that the, in terms of the diet and in terms of the in terms of the way they treat these animals, it's usher. And Rabbi Mlamed explains why. Sof kol sof, good. You're going to tell me there's no objective benefit to the meat. But there is objective benefit to the pocketbooks of the, of the veal farmers. The, they are making money by doing this. So that's an objective benefit. Their bank account is fatter. So why is that not called objective benefit? So Rabbi Mlamed explains, it doesn't work like that. Objective benefit means that there's something... Aside from economics, aside from your bank account that actually benefits, something in the world has been improved. He says, let's say, for example, someone asks, someone wants to pay you money so he can torture your dog. He says, you can't sell your dog to be tortured because you're going to make money by doing it. It doesn't work like that, he says. There is no objective benefit by this transaction, he says. The fact that you make money off cruelty to animals, that does not justify torturing animals, he says. And so on. 
He says, the, if someone is angry, he says, he wants to go around and use his uh, dog as a punching bag. He says the fact that it'll calm him down, he finds it soothing and relaxing, that's not a heter, he says, because the Gemara talks about uh, whether you're chayav on Shabbos, whether that's called Malachat Tzrich or not, but says Rabbi Malamed, that is not a heter for Tzar Balechayim. Kicking your dog because it makes you feel better is not a heter, because there is no objective benefit. And the fact that indirectly you stand to benefit, whether in your bank account or your, your, your anger is soothed, that doesn't count. You have to find some objective benefit to justify inflicting tzara on the animal. So we're going to stop here. The bottom line is, genuine, legitimate uh, human benefit is a heter. Benefit, a benefit which is simply financial benefit is a subject of considerable debate. Additionally, Post can distinguish between great tzara and minor tzara. And furthermore, even cases that are mutter, many posts can, many posts can say, following the Gemara of Rachel Vokalmasa, that even when inflicting tzara is mutter, still there is an inyan musari, still the ethical thing may be, the chasidus may be, to avoid being an achzar, the, the ovdev adazara are achzarim, Jews who have the Torah are expected to be rachmanim. Yeah, so the, the earliest source I saw quoted, I did not look it up, the earliest source I saw quoted was the Ritva, that the Binyan Sion brings a Ritva, who says, the Ritva is coming to explain uh, what, uh, Gemara, but the Ritva's interpretation of the Gemara is that the Gemara makes a kind of elliptical reference to, 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 to two different types of, uh, of operations on an animal, and the Ritva understands the Gemara to be saying that one of them involves Tsar Gadol, which is therefore Oster, even if there's some reason for doing it, and one of them involves only Tarkatan, and therefore is Mutter when we, for even uh, relatively you know, minor needs. So the, based on that Ritva, the, the Binyan Sion, might be other sources for it, but based on that Ritva, the Binyan Sion distinguishes between Tsar Gadol and Tsar Katan. yes.